Welcome back to another week at Pettysville Missionary Church. This week, we continue our series on what it looks like to have hope in the darkest places. All right. Well, as you know, um, last week we started a new series called Hope in the Darkness. Um, So this is week two of that series. Last week, Pastor Kent covered chapter one of the book of Daniel and explained that The nation of Israel had been taken into captivity by the hands of Babylon, and so they were under this foreign rule of this foreign nation and and foreign leaders, right? They were taken into captivity there, and it was it was a time of of darkness for them, and so really they needed they needed some hope in the darkness that they were facing. So today I'm going to take us on a journey through chapter two of the book of Daniel, but before we actually open our Bibles to the book of Daniel, I think it's crucial and I think it's important that we understand and answer this question. Why was the nation of Israel in captivity by the hands of the Babylonians in the first place? Why did they find themselves in this situation? Why did they find themselves in this kind of darkness? And the reason that we have the things that are recorded in the book of Daniel is because of what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied to the nation of Israel. And so I want to start off today by going through uh, some Scripture in the book of Jeremiah, just so we have a a background and a history of of Daniel and why we have the book of Daniel. So, open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. And I want to read together verses 3 through 7 to start off. Jeremiah 25, verses 3 through 7. Jeremiah writes here, For twenty-three years, from the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all His servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. God continues by saying, Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Alright, so this is, this is what Jeremiah was saying. This is what God was persistently telling the people. And as we continue on there, God continues on to say that since you did not obey the words and listen to the prophets that I sent, to you, he says that I will use Nebuchadnezzar, who is king of Babylon, and I'm going to use him and his nation as a servant against you. I'm going to bring him down against you. And God says through them, he says, I will bring destruction. They will bring horror. He says they will be like a hissing, an everlasting destruction. 
This is what God said will happen. God said that the whole land will become a ruin and a waste. And the nation will serve Babylon for 70 years. And so this was the warning. This is what God said was going to happen. Jump ahead with me to verse 12. Let's read that one together as well. Because it goes into more detail. Verse 12, Then after 70 years are completed, God says, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Alright, so we've seen the warning to Israel. God's told them what's going to happen and that they're going to be in the hands of, of Babylon. And what I find really fascinating here in this little section of Scripture, it's fascinating that God willed, right? God willed in His perfect sovereignty that, that He would use Babylon to, to come down and desolate Israel. To come down and take them into captivity. Right? But then when Babylon does exactly what God willed them to do, and Babylon actually comes down and takes them into captivity, God says there in verse 12 that He's going to punish them. Right? He's going to hold them accountable for their actions. Right? We, we, see, we see God's directive will. Right? He, he decreed that this thing will happen. He decreed that Babylon is going to be his servant. He was going to use them. We see on the other end of that, we see the human accountability. Right? We see the responsibility. They were held accountable for doing what God made them do. And Scripture doesn't explain this. Scripture doesn't reconcile why this happens. But we see this over and over and over again in Scripture where God wills something. He decrees something. And and when the people do exactly what He tells them to do, He holds them accountable for their actions and punishes them. And so this gives us a little idea of why they were in captivity. But here's where the hope comes in. And again, we're still, we're still in Jeremiah chapter 29 is where I want us to jump to. Because Jeremiah explains to the exiles why they can have hope, even though they find themselves in the hands of the Babylonians. Uh, chapter 29 verse 1 says that these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now let's look at verses 4 through 7 there in Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
And so Jeremiah is giving them hope. He says, you know what? You're going to be there for a while. They knew they would be there 70 years. He said, make yourself at home. Get married. Have kids. Make sure that your kids get married and have kids. Multiply. Do great things. Pray for the nation that is really oppressing you. Pray for them because within that, that's where you find some hope. All right, let's continue on. I want to look at verses 10 through 14 of the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. All right, again, so we, we see the hope for the people of Israel, right? Their hope came from this, what I like to say, the specific plans from God that was specifically for them. Right? They knew what they were going through because God told them. They knew what was going to happen. They got this encouragement that what was going to happen afterwards. Right? They knew that God was going to restore them after those 70 years had passed. And that gave them hope. Alright, so that's, that's a little back history of why the people of Israel were exiles in the land of Babylon. So now you can start flipping ahead in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, because the book of Daniel really chronicles what happened during those 70 years in, 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 during the exile, right? It doesn't obviously cover everything that happened during that period, but it does give us insight to what God was doing with His people. Okay? And so we're focusing in on the darkness that Daniel and the other exiles faced. And so I want us, I want us to really grasp what they were facing. I want us to really grasp um, what happened to Daniel and his companions or his friends. Right? Think about what, what Daniel was going through here. He was, he was taken captive by force, not by his own will, taken captive by force from a foreign nation. He was exiled from the land of Judah because as we can see in chapter 1 of, of Daniel, he was taken and chosen because he was young. Right, scripture says that he was without blemish. So he was, I guess, perfect. In appearance, right? He was, he was good looking. He was, had useful skills. He had wisdom. He had knowledge. He had this innate ability to, to learn. And so he was chosen. For all these reasons, he was chosen to be exiled into the land of Babylon along with his three, three friends named Hananiah, Mishael, and Azar, Azariah. Right? And as if it wasn't bad enough that he was taken from his own land into a foreign land to serve under a foreign king, but when he got there, as Pastor Kent shared last week, 
his name was taken from him. Right? His very identity of who he was was taken from him, as well as his three friends. And then, and I believe this to be even more truly devastating, is the fact that his manhood was taken from him. Right? He, was, he was emasculated. He was made to be effeminate. He was made into a eunuch. Right? The, the, king, the king would never allow a, a young, good-looking, smart man to be able to spend time and work in his castle or his, his temple right, and serve the king around his wives. They would never let that happen with his manhood intact. It was a typical practice in those days that the male slaves, the male servants who were taken to serve, they, they were made into eunuchs because they would lose the ability to reproduce so that they would not, quote, mess around with the king's wives and maybe mistresses, his concubines, right? It was a common practice. Foreign nations took their names and they took their manhoods in order to crush their spirits in order to crush their will. They wanted their spirits crushed so that they would comply in order to serve the new master. Right? It's all part of that that brainwashing process that leads captives to be loyal to the new king, to the new nation, and to the new religion that they were trying to bring them into. Now, Now some would argue that Daniel... And his friends were not necessarily emasculated or made into eunuchs, that they didn't have their manhoods taken from them, because Scripture doesn't specifically say that. I, I, however, think it does specifically say that. And I say that because it's found in verses 3 and 7 of chapter 1, if we logically put all this together. right? Because verse 3 says that the king ordered Ashpenaz... And who was Ashpenaz? He was the head chief of the eunuchs. Right? He was the chief of eunuchs. And the king told him to bring specific people to serve under him. Okay. Then in verse 7 it says that again, the chief, who was Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, gave names, new names to Daniel and his friends. And so logically it's consistent that if the chief of the eunuchs had people serving under him and he himself was a eunuch, he was in charge of the other eunuchs, making Daniel and his three friends eunuchs as well. And I say all these things just so we have this perspective of just how bad of time the people were having, how bad Daniel's situation was, what he was actually going through. And again, I say it because things may not be going well for you in your life right now. They may not be. Things are not really going very well in our nation. And really things aren't going well in the world as a whole right now. But I, but I want us to understand and I want to put things in perspective that, that what we're facing right now in this, in this very moment, for me at least, it really pales in comparison to what Daniel was facing. 
and what he was going through. What happened to him and his friends has not happened to us by any means. You think about it, they had everything, everything taken from them by force. Clear down to the very core of who they were. Their names were taken. Clear down to their manhood. What made them men was taken from them by force. And today we're going to learn that Daniel, as well again as his friends, their lives were in danger simply because the king had a bad dream and his spirit was troubled. But you know what? In spite of in spite of everything that happened to them, they still worshiped the one true God. Let's jump into Daniel chapter 2. I'm just going to give you like an overview. We'll we'll read some scriptures here together as well, but I want to give you an overview. As I said, the King Nebuchadnezzar, he had this dream. And it was troubling his spirit. And, and by the way, this was a dream that Scripture says was given to Nebuchadnezzar by God Himself. God gave him this dream for His purposes. Alright, so he had this dream. It was troubling him. And, and he needed to know the meaning of it. He wanted somebody to come interpret the dream for him. And so the Chaldeans came to the king and they said, Tell us the dream, O mighty king, and, and we will interpret it for you. But King Nebuchadnezzar said, No, you know what? That's not good enough. Because if I tell you the dream, you can just make something up for an interpretation. And I have no way of knowing if what you're telling me is true or just something you're making up. So Nebuchadnezzar says, No. If you're going to interpret it, you're first going to have to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. And he says, and if you do not, he says, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be laid in ruins. All right, this, is, this is how troubled he was by this dream that God had given to him. And they argued with him and the king remained steadfast and firm in his decision. But I want us to, to read together verses 10 and 11 because this is how the, the Chaldeans responded to the, the king's demands here. It says there in verses 10 and 11, let me get to the right spot here. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so even these wise Chaldeans admitted that no one but a God is able to do what you're asking. And do you think the king said, well, okay, I get what, I get what you're saying. You're, you're off the hook. 
That's not what he said, right? This infuriated the king. He was infuriated. And so then he commanded that every wise man in all of Babylon be destroyed. In other words, what he's saying is, go out and murder all the wise men throughout the kingdom. Because you can't tell me what my dream is. And of course, that included Daniel and his friends because they were among the wise men of the nation. But as this story goes, Arioch, who was the captain's the captain of the king's guard, he, he was going out and he was going to kill the wise men of, of Babylon. And Daniel came up to him and he spoke to him and he said, you know what, Arioch, set a time for me to go before the king and I will interpret the king's dream. And so that's exactly what he did. And now after this conversation with Arioch, Daniel went, Daniel went back to his house and he went to his friends and he explained everything that was happening and, and he told them, to seek mercy from God. Seek mercy from God in prayer so that they would not be killed with the rest of the wise men. And that night, as they were praying and seeking God for mercy, it says that the mystery of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was revealed to Daniel in a vision. In a vision from God. And Daniel worshipped God for revealing the dream. After that, Daniel went to Arioch and he said, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. I am going to interpret that dream. He took Daniel in front of the king and he said, here is a man from the exile in Judah who is able to interpret your dream, almighty king. And let's read what happens next. Verses 26 through 30. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was now Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, No. No wise men Enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made it known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Right after that, Daniel revealed to the king exactly what his dream was, explained exactly what he saw in his dream, showing that the revelation was from God himself. And he told him that these things are going to happen against your kingdom and you're going to fall. And he explains all those things, right? And I really love how this this account ends when we get towards the end of chapter 2. Because this is what happens after, after Daniel reveals the dream and what it means, the interpretation. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar fell down on his face before Daniel. 
And he proclaims this. He says, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealers of mystery. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Right? Who does he, who does he proclaim there? He proclaims the one true God. The one true God who Daniel told him about. What an amazing declaration from the king about the God of the universe. So this is what we see that happened to Daniel and his friends in chapter 2. So there's two things here this morning that, that I want us to remember. First of all is the fact that God is sovereign. Right, God is sovereign. And I know I mention this a lot, but I think it's really important that we, we keep that on the forefront of our minds. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. Nothing happens that He does not ordain. Right? He either ordains it through His, his directive will, which I already talked about, but His directive will is things that He decrees to happen, and these are the things that will happen, and there is no changing it once He decrees it. There's no changing His mind. That's His directive will. But we also see things that happens through His permissive will. Right? These are the things that He may not be decreeing to happen, but these are the things that He allows to happen for His glory and in His sovereignty. And really, He decrees things and He allows things to happen so that He is revealed to the world. So that the world will know that He is the one true God. So that the world will know that He is the only God. Right? Israel being taken into captivity. And Daniel being able to receive what the dream was and to interpret that dream. It was all because of the sovereignty of God. God in His perfect will and God in His perfect knowledge and wisdom and sovereignty decreed these things to happen so that He could reveal Himself to the world. That's why He gave King Nebuchadnezzar the dream so that He could reveal to Daniel what the dream was so that He could interpret the dream. And all of it was done so that God could reveal Himself to the king. So that then the king would make this proclamation that God is God. Your God is the one true God. And Lord of kings. So that He could declare who God is. God is sovereign. And He reveals Himself to us through His sovereignty. Second thing I want to point out here that we we can see here in Daniel chapter 2 is this. Especially especially when we find ourselves in dark times and in the darkness, what do we need to do? We need to worship the one true God. We need to worship God. Because what happened here that we read about and and everything that is recorded really in in the book of Daniel is not really, doesn't really have anything to do with Daniel. I mean, it does, but it's not about Daniel. Daniel. It's not about his friends. It's not about the exiles, per se. It's all about God and what he did. The book again, the book of Daniel again, is about revealing God, God revealing himself. Daniel didn't take any credit for it. 
He took no credit for what had been done. Right? When he was asked to re- if he could reveal the dream and interpret it, what did he say? No, of course I can't. There is nothing within me that gives me the ability whatsoever from within myself that I have the ability to do this. I can't do this because I'm a smarter man than anybody else in the rest of the world. He says, no, I can't do it. No man can. No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no astrologer can show the the mystery to the king. Who did he give credit to? He gave it to God. He said, only God can do it. God did it. God did it. He did it. He did it. God did it. And what do we see from Daniel? What was he able to do? With faith. In his faith, he worshiped God. Daniel and his friends, even in the midst of circumstances that are more dark and unimaginable than we can imagine at this point, they still bowed down before the one true God and they worshiped Him. They worshiped Him in prayer. They worshiped Him in their actions. They worshiped Him with their lives. Everything that we did, and as we go deeper into the book of Daniel, we see that over and over again. They worshiped and God acted. And so I, just, I say all this to point out the fact that in these dark times that we're in right now, let us do the same thing. Can't we do the same thing? Let us worship God with our lives, live fully and wholly devoted lives to Him, no matter what we face, no matter what comes our way. I wanna I wanna leave you with some just some parting thoughts here. So you know what that means. We've another half an hour of talking. <laughs> Not really, but let, let me just let me just say this and, and get your minds pondering. There's there's no there's no question. Like I think we're all sitting here this morning, we're all in agreement that there is no question that we're living in dark times in this nation. Right, there's, no, there's no question. If you're paying attention to the world, there's no question to that. And I just want to give us one recent event, very, very recent, um, just as an example. And, and this is really more, it's less about the topic of the example. It's more about the evil that is behind this example. You'll understand as soon as I get into it. But maybe you've heard of this. But in New Mexico, the Satanic Temple is opening up an abortion clinic in order to provide free abortions to women. Again, this is about what's behind it, not, not necessarily the topic. And so when I first heard of it, I, I was like, well, yeah, that sounds about right. No surprise here. Sounds like something we would do in America or somewhere else in the world. But, but I wanted to make sure it was true. So I started investigating. I came across numerous articles, and Annie had showed me a, a clip from Glenn Beck, and he was talking about and he said that they're naming it the Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic 
And so literally has the name Satan and, and where it comes from in the name of the clinic. A news article from KOB4 News in Albuquerque, New Mexico said that the Satanic Temple is opening... Excuse me. The Satanic Temple is opening a telehealth abortion clinic in New Mexico. And they are calling it the world's first ever... It's the first ever religious abortion clinic. They say that they will provide 24-7 virtual appointments where patients in New Mexico can then receive abortion medication. Their main goal is to combat abortion restrictions, ordinances like the ones passed in Clovis and Roosevelt County. And this article ends by saying this. He says, right now the Satanic Temple is planning to start offering telehealth appointments on February 14th. So I think that's next Tuesday. On Valentine's Day, they're going to start offering those appointments. Officials of the Satanic Temple said that launching this clinic is just the first step for TST Health. TST stands for the Satanic Temple. TST Health, their abortion clinic network. So it's not just going to be one clinic. This is something they plan on branching out and having more and more clinics throughout the nation at least. Right, another article says this, this group which denies the existence of Satan but associates itself with satanic imagery says the online facility will provide medication abortion pills by mail to those, and, and here's what I want you to, to really hear, they're going to give the medication abortion pills by mail to those who wish to perform the satanic temple's religious abortion ritual. I thought, wow, that, that sounds crazy. I thought, well, maybe, maybe these people have it wrong. So then I thought, well, I'm going to do some more searching. I thought, why not go straight to the horse's mouth? And so I started looking, and I, I found the Satanic Temple's webpage. Right? They actually have a, they have a webpage, and it has a tons of things that they offer. But the very first thing you see is how you can donate to this clinic. And so it says right on their website, this is directly from their site, Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic is an online clinic that provides religious medication abortion care. The clinic provides abortion medication via mail to those in New Mexico who wish to perform the Satanic Temple's religious abortion ritual. It's straight from their website, straight from their mouths, their intention is clear. And at the very bottom of their page, you'll like this too, the Satanic Temple is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Donations are tax deductible in accordance with IRS rules and regulations. The federal tax ID number is, and they list it there, so that they can get donations for what they're planning. And so that means they're receiving government benefits and government privileges. Why? Because they are a religious organization that apparently has no deity but follows Satan. Sound a little crazy? Too crazy to be true, but it is. And that's just one example. 
I, I could stand up here all day on these examples. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. For me, this, this is what I truly believe. The darkness that we face right now as a nation is because our nation is under judgment, the judgment of God. Just like Israel was time and time and again. We've turned away from God. We've turned our backs on God. We, we, we're seeking other gods. We, we practice evil things. We do evil deeds. We've provoked God's anger against us. And it's not just our nation, right? It's not just our nation. It's the world as a whole. The world is a dark place. It always has been. But I would say that the darkness is on the rise. We're we're heading back to the days of Noah before God destroyed everything on the earth. Now, I I don't know, and we don't know what God has in store for our nation. We don't, we don't know what God has in store for us individually. Right? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is not a promise to us. It's not a promise to our nation. It's not a promise to me. It's not a promise to you as an individual. It was a specific promise to the people of Israel that He would deliver them after 70 years of captivity. That He would restore them when that captivity came to an end. But here's what I want you to hear and here's what I want you to remember this morning. Our hope does not rely on the restoration of our nation. Right? Our hope doesn't rely on a man. Our hope does not rely on a politician. Nothing that man can do. Nothing of this earth. Right? Our nation can collapse. And and eventually it will. But our hope does not come from earthly things. All of the things of the world can and will be taken away from us, right? Either when Jesus returns or at our death, all the earthly things will be wiped out and taken away. We take nothing with us. All those things are gone. But even when that happens, we can still have hope. When all the things of the world are taken from you, you can still have hope because our hope is in someone greater. Our hope rests in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Right? It rests in no man, nothing of this earth. It rests in Him and Him alone. It rests in the kingdom of heaven where we will one day go to worship Him for all eternity. That's where our hope rests. Our home is not here. Our home is with Him. That's where my hope lies. And so no matter what it is, that the darkness is that we face right now, personally or as a nation, no matter what darkness is coming our way in the future, we cling tight to Jesus. We trust Jesus. We bow down before Jesus. We worship Jesus exclusively and completely with all of our lives. Everything of who we are, we worship Jesus. Even when the darkness threatens our very life, we worship Jesus. Our hope is in Him and in Him alone. Amen? Father God, we, um, again, we just sit here today 
in all of who you are, acknowledging for who you are. You are the sovereign God. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are in charge. You're glorious. You're full of grace and love and mercy. And Lord, we see that you pour that grace and mercy out on our lives. And and we see it in the fact that you sent your son Jesus down to this earth to take your wrath. You saved us from yourself through your son so that we wouldn't face that wrath. We see that great mercy. We see that great love in that act. And so we worship you. May every thought, everything we do surround worshiping you. Lord, we do live in dark days and we know that the enemy is prowling around and he's looking to destroy and he's looking to draw us away from you. So I I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you. That nothing of this dark world would, would pull us away from you. That nothing of this dark world would bring us down or drag us down. But Lord, I pray that we would find courage and boldness to express who you are, to go out into this dark world with with the hope in our hand that we have in Jesus Christ. We, We take it with us so that we have nothing to fear. Even when our lives are at risk, we have nothing to fear because our hope doesn't lie in anything of this earth. May we go forth with the gospel, with the good name of Jesus and the salvation that comes through him. Give us the courage, the boldness, and the love to speak truth to those who need to know Jesus so that they might be drawn out of the darkness and into the light. Go with us, go with us as we leave this place. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us here this morning and worshiping with us. I trust that you will have a great week, and we will see you back here next Sunday. God bless.